0: We are glad you're here. It's a beautiful day. We're thankful for the opportunity to be together. This being the last Sunday of July. Summertime's going to be over before we know it. But we appreciate so much you being here today. I know that school's going to start pretty soon, probably next couple of weeks, I would imagine. And so, summertime just goes too fast. We appreciate you being here, if you're a visitor, as always we invite you to come back and be with us. We're so grateful that you've chosen to come our way. If you are looking for a church home, we'd love to have you come and be a part of the work here. We are certainly thankful for all who have come our way to be a part of the work here. We pray that God will richly bless you. We're looking today at Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5 in our study together today. This has been somewhat of an unusual summer, in the sense, at least from my perspective, we've had a lot of rain. And as a result of all the rain, it has created some problems for those who farm and others who cultivate land. Many of us have been outside this year It's been beautiful, and then before you know it, the clouds roll in, the wind kicks up, and here comes the rain. And sometimes you'll hear people say there are storm clouds brewing. When you read Isaiah chapter 5, that's really what you see. God here, through the prophet Isaiah, is talking to the children of Israel. God had abundantly blessed them. And so what Isaiah is saying to the nation... There are some storm clouds that are brewing that will ultimately impact your way of life. What I want to do is look at Isaiah chapter 5 and make some application to those of us who belong to the body of Christ or who are members of the church. In Isaiah chapter 5, the first thing that Isaiah does is talks about the blessings of God's people. The passage read a minute ago. God uses the figure of a vineyard to describe the nation of Israel. What you have to understand is God was the creator of that nation. He created and cultivated the nation of Israel as we know it. He was the one who established the nation. Now the purpose behind that was to bring the Messiah the Christ into the world. You remember going back to Genesis 3:15 when Moses talked about the promised seed. In order to make that happen, God needed a nation or a group of people through whom the Christ would emerge. And so he called on a man by the name of Abraham. And you remember in Genesis chapter 12 at verse 3, God said that through his seed line all nations of the earth would be blessed. And so God established the nation for that very purpose. Paul would say in Romans chapter 10 that Christ is the end or the aim of the law to everyone who believes. The law was intended to point people in the direction of Christ. Sadly, the nation of Israel misunderstood in many respects their purpose. And so you have the establishment of the nation and then the expectation of the nation. Now, listen, if you would, to what Isaiah said beginning in verse 1. Let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up, cleared out its stones, planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst, and also he made a winepress in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes. But Isaiah said it brought forth wild grapes. And the word wild here really means poisonous grapes. God had certain expectations for the children of Israel. And that is, they were to have been a fruitful nation. Now if you turn over to Isaiah chapter 43, Isaiah identifies the very purpose behind the nation being brought into existence. He said that all who are called by my name, whom I have created, listen to him, for my glory. God was going to use the nation of Israel for His glory. And not only were they to have been for His glory, but he said down in verse 10, they were to be witnesses of Him, that is, that is, they were a reminder to the world to the nations about them that there is only one true and living god they were to have been a light for god amidst pagan people you remember for example when the children of israel went down into the into egypt and the bible says in exodus chapter 1 if you recall there arose a new king in egypt who knew not the lord in other words he didn't know the god Of Joseph, And so when you look at the church today, what's the purpose of the Lord's church? Well, Paul said in Ephesians 3 verse 21 that God is to be glorified in the church. Are there expectations placed upon those of us who belong to the church? Well, of course, one of which is to teach, to preach, to share the gospel, to be a light in a darkened world as the nation was to the pagan nations around them. So we have that responsibility, as they did in the long ago. But then, note if you would, the continuation here. Not only did God cultivate and create the nation of Israel, but He cared for the nation. God lavished His love upon that nation, didn't He? You remember Jeremiah in chapter 31, verse 3? Jeremiah said on behalf of God, I have loved you with an everlasting love. God loved the children of Israel just as He loves people today. As a matter of fact, Paul would say in Ephesians 5.25, talking about Christ, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. So God loved the nation, and then the record says He liberated the nation of Israel. Go back to Deuteronomy in chapter 7. In chapter 7 God said with a mighty hand he brought them out of the house of bondage, redeemed them from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. That's the one we're talking about, the God who cared for this nation of people. And so God abundantly blessed them. Now in Christ today, do we not have an abundance of blessings? Sure we do. Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 talks about how every spiritual blessing known to man resides in one place. That's Christ. So everyone who is in Christ taps into those blessings. And the only way to get into Christ is to obey the gospel of Christ. And so now let's think think for just a moment or two about the burden or the behavior of the nation of Israel. In Isaiah chapter 5, the writer talks about the character of the nation. Really, there are two things here. Number one, what God said, and number two, what God saw among His people. So pick up with me, if you would, in verse 3. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. Listen to him in verse 4. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I've not done to it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? Now let me just pause here for a minute. God is saying to the nation of Israel, what more could I have done for you? Go back and read the history of the Israelite nation up to this point in time. God had redeemed them from, as He said in Deuteronomy chapter 7, the house of bondage. He had brought them into the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. He had provided for their every need. He had blessed them abundantly. Matter of fact, He even gave them a law, didn't He? That law was intended to bless them. They were, as Moses wrote in Exodus chapter 19, they were a special treasure unto God above all people. He said, I'll make you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God had been good to these people, and yet for whatever reason, they turned their back on Him. Is it possible that God could ask us today, what more could I do for you? What more could I do to stabilize your spiritual life, or to help you, spiritually speaking. Sometimes we talk about the finished work of Christ, the fact that Jesus died on Calvary's cross, was buried in a borrowed tomb, raised the third day. The gospel is God's power unto salvation, as Paul said in Romans 1.16. Every person who obeys that gospel enjoys the blessings of salvation. And then he's given us his word to stabilize our faith, to encourage us to be steadfast and immovable, to not allow the world to encroach upon our spiritual lives. Think back over your life right now. Think about all of the preaching and teaching that you have heard. Individuals that have shared the word of God. Some of us have been privileged. To literally sit at the feet of people who are highly regarded in terms of biblical knowledge. We have been so blessed, so richly blessed, and many times do not even realize it. What more could, what more could God do for you? I mean, you look at your life as a child of God today. And think about your faith where you stand in the eyes of God. Is God pleased with where you are spiritually? We've had every advantage to be what God wants us to be. If we're not where we ought to be spiritually, then whose fault is it? Whose fault was it that the nation of Israel was not bringing forth good grapes for God. So you think about about the character of these people. Now drop down if you would and look at verse 7. First we think about what God said, but then what was it God saw? Listen to Him in verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, And the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. Now listen to him. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, weeping. Do you know what the intent of the gospel is? It is to produce righteousness in the lives of people, isn't it? And God was saying to the nation of Israel, look. I planted you. I blessed you. I have provided for your every need. What was it I was looking for from you? Righteousness. Righteous conduct. But that's not what God got. What is it God expects out of the church today? God expects us to live, as Paul said, soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So, We talk about the character of the nation, but then note, if you would, the conduct of the nation. In a very graphic way, Isaiah is going to present a series of woes, reminiscent of Matthew 23 when Jesus directed a number of woes towards the religious leaders of His day, the scribes and the Pharisees. And so listen to Him beginning in verse, look at verse 8. Woe to those who join house to house, who had field to field, till there is no place, where they may dwell alone in the midst of the land. Woe number one, problem number one, they were covetous and materialistic. God had given them the land of of Canaan. That land had been allotted or distributed to each of the tribes, had it not? And yet they're trying to gobble up land from their own brothers. You remember, for example, back in the days of Ahab, there was a fellow by the name of Naboth that had a vineyard. And Ahab wanted that vineyard, didn't he? It wasn't his vineyard. He tried to buy it. It wasn't for sale. And because he wanted that vineyard and because he was covetous, his wife Jezebel devised a plan where he could acquire the land, and that's exactly what happened. Materialism and covetousness can be a problem in the church today. Covetousness. Typically we talk about idolatry. And You remember John said in 1 John chapter 5, keep yourselves from idols. Anything that stands between us and God is an idol. And so as you think about the problem of covetousness or money, materialism, we live in a very materialistic age. And sadly, that has made its way into the church, has it not? Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, Beware of covetousness. Why? A man's life consists not in the abundance of the things he possesses. So here's Isaiah dealing with a real problem among the children of Israel. Then note, if you would, verse 11. In verse 11, he now pronounces a second woe. And this has to do with carousing and drinking and a party life, so to speak. Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may follow intoxicating drink, who continue all night till wine inflames them. The harp and the strings, the tambourine and flute, and wine are in their feast. So here are people who are given over to drinking and carousing and partying. I mean, that's what they've become. They have become self-centered, selfish individuals. The Bible talks about the dangers of alcohol, and yet there are people even in the church today that try to defend its use. Solomon said, "...wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, whoever is deceived thereby is not wise." Could I ask you a personal question? Do you have beer in your refrigerator? You got whiskey in your cabinet? If you do as a child of God, you need to rethink some things. If you think it's all right to live like the world lives and to drink like the world drinks, I've got news for you. You're wrong. There is nowhere in Scripture There is not one place in Scripture that anyone can ever defend the usage of alcohol. Can't do it. That's why it's called the devil's brew. And we've got folks in the church sometimes that think it's okay to drink. You're out at a restaurant, and you place your order, and you ask for a beer, or you ask for a cocktail. What's that say to the world? I can tell you what it says to the world. It says you're in the world. It says you are a part of the world. Do you really think Jesus, if He were here today and we were to go out to dinner, do you really think He would order a Budweiser or a Miller Lite? Absolutely not. And we've got folks that are foolish enough to think that that's okay. Well, it's not. i tell you what it is. It's called sin. It's exactly what it is. Now, note if you would, Here's what Isaiah said. They're so so self-consumed and self-absorbed. In verse 12 he said, They do not regard the work of the Lord, nor consider the operation of His hands. How involved are you in the body of Christ? Did you know that James chapter 2 makes the case that our faith is to be operative or active, is it not? If you just show up to services on Sunday morning, and that's all you're about as a child of God, let me tell you what, you don't have much to boast about. Christianity is more than meeting with the saints on the first day of the week. Now that's important. But are you involved in the work of the church? You see, the fact of the matter is, there are some folks that have such busy lives, the Lord just doesn't have place for them. If they can squeeze Him in on Sunday morning, then so be it. If they can squeeze Him in on Wednesday night, then maybe that's okay. But everything revolves around what they want to do, rather than what God wants. Look, I acknowledge the world that we live in is far different today than the world in which I grew up in. And there are things that are going on in our culture today that never took place when I was a young fella. Doesn't make it right. And we've got, so, we've got folks today in the church. They're so busy with life. And they're so focused in on what they want to do, they've forgotten about the work of the Lord. Isaiah here is talking to the nation of Israel. And listen again to what he said. They do not regard the work of the Lord. That is a strong indictment, is it not? Now look at, if you would, verse 18. Here's another woe. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity. And sin as if with a cart rope. That say, Let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it. And let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come that we may know it. Here were people that were pulling cords of vanity. In other words, they're pulling sin along behind them as if it were in a cart, and they're just pulling it along. And they're mocking the God of heaven. They're mocking sin. Wasn't it Solomon that said, fools make a mock of sin in Proverbs 14, verse 9? Is it not the case today that some minimize the effects of sin? It was Paul who wrote in 2 Timothy 3, verse 4, Paul said that there are some who are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. He also said that evil men grow worse and worse. Once you start down that trail, sometimes it can be very difficult to back up and get things right. And then look at verse 20. In verse 20, now he talks about their confused moral state. What are those who call evil good and good evil? Who put darkness for light, light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now we're talking about the power of words. Isaiah is talking about people who call evil good. I said a minute ago, the children of Israel, the problem with the nation of Israel They allowed the world to encroach upon their spirituality. If we're not careful, we can allow the world to weave its way into our lives. And we, like the people of Isaiah's day, we call evil good. Think about the unity in diversity movement and how it has impacted the church. I think that there are folks in the Lord's church today that do not understand the distinctiveness of the Lord's church. So you'll hear people say, you know, one church is good as another, really doesn't matter. Not what the Bible teaches. There are those that have made concessions with regard to God's redemptive plan. Can you believe that there are people, even in our brotherhood, that will sometimes poke fun? God's plan of salvation, the necessity of being baptized into Jesus Christ, that's where we are. And yet the Lord Jesus, He built the church, He bought the church, it belongs to Him. God's plan of salvation has not changed. And then morally speaking, have we not made concessions? It's amazing to me that we live in a culture that at one time viewed sodomy as deplorable. Two-thirds of America now says that the marriage between two men, two women is acceptable. God's God's Word hasn't changed, has it? I mean, the Bible still reads, let a man therefore leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And so we use euphemisms. And I look at our country tonight and I think about the impact that the world and our nation is having on the church. And sometimes I think about individuals who are part of the body of Christ who have made concessions morally speaking. And they're right in line with the world. We've got folks in the body of Christ who will defend gambling. You can't defend that. They'll defend social drinking. You can't defend that. There is no defense for that kind of behavior. And so Isaiah is talking to the nation of Israel. And as he declares these woes to them, he is itemizing the charges. And then look at verse 21. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Now we're talking about, now we're talking about people who are arrogant, conceited, academic license. Did you know that there are people in the church that have bought into the evolutionary concept? There are folks in the church today that have compromised divine truth with regard to God being the Creator. And you've got universities all across this country that teach that stuff. And it has webbed its way into the hearts and minds of young folks. And then they have propagated that stuff even in the church. Paul in Romans chapter 1 talked about people who profess to be wise, but he said they're fools. God's the Creator, and yet under the concept of academic license. It's amazing to me that in our world today you can teach anything, and everything is permissible with the exception of God's Word. There has to be a standard, doesn't there? The standard's the word. And so Isaiah speaks to those individuals who were conceited. And then look at verse 22, their corruption. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink. Who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. Here's the problem. These folks are on the take. It's all about money, so they're willing to take bribes, aren't they? If we, don't, if we do not allow the Word of God to make a difference in our lives, then the consequence will be we'll act like the world. And if we act like the world, talk like the world, dress like the world, guess what? We're in the world. Now there's a third thing, very quickly. Note the burden. Isaiah is delivering a burden to the nation of Israel. I want you to look at something. Go back and look at verse 13. He delivered this series of woes, and he is itemized woe by woe, the problems that they're demonstrating in their own lives. And so here's the key the consequences of their behavior. For every action, there is a corresponding reaction. And so what Isaiah is going to do is say, look, because this is how you're living, this is what you can expect. Paul said it like this, be not deceived, God's not mocked, whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So look at verse 13, therefore, drop down, look at verse 24, therefore, look at verse 25, therefore, what's the prophet saying? He's saying, because this is how you're living. And because this is what you have become as a nation, this is what's going to happen to you. Two things. Number one, God would chasten them. And number two, God would send them into captivity. So listen to what he says beginning in verse 13. Therefore my people have gone into captivity, because they have no knowledge. Their honorable men are famished, their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore Sheol, The grave, and the idea is an open place, a hollow place. And what God is saying through the prophet in the long ago is this. There's a nation to the north, and they're going to come down. That nation is known as Babylon. And they're going to open up and swallow you. They're going to carry you into captivity. And you'll spend 70 years in a foreign land. He said their glory and their multitude and their pomp and excuse me, and he who is jubilant shall descend into it. Now look at verse 16. This is, an, this is an interesting statement. But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment. That is an interesting statement. And what God was saying to the nation, in spite of your behavior. In spite of the fact that you were to have been a nation that brought forth good grapes and glorified me and been a witness to me, I will still be glorified. I will be glorified or exalted despite how you live. Now you remember in Philippians chapter 2 when the Apostle Paul talked about Christ taking upon Himself human flesh and dying for our sins? And he said, every tongue shall confess to God that Jesus Christ is Lord. To whom? To the glory of God. There are people in the world, and yes, sadly, sometimes even in the church, who do not live to give glory and honor to God. But there is coming a day when the rankest infidel to have ever lived will bow before the throne of Almighty God and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to God's glory. When people are severed from His presence forevermore and judged because of their unrighteous behavior, God is saying, I will still be glorified. So with that in mind, drop down very quickly. I know our time's gone. In verse 24, Therefore as the fire devours the stubble and the flame consumes the chaff, so their root will be as rottenness; th- their bloom, or rather their blossom will ascend like dust because they've rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. What did I say about the therefores? Listen to Him. Therefore, Therefore, because you have despised my word, the anger of the Lord is aroused against His people. He has stretched out His hand against them and stricken them, and the hills trembled. Their carcasses were as refuse in the midst of the streets. God's saying, look, judgment's coming. It's coming. You chose not to listen to me. You chose to dishonor my word. You chose to live in rebellion to my ways. Judgment's coming. Now, here's the application very quickly. Whether we like it or not, judgment's coming, isn't it? Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess to God that Jesus Christ is Lord, to His glory. Now, you can bow now and do so with a submissive heart, a desire to live for Him, or you can wait till the day of judgment. And whether you want to or not, you will bow in His presence. And you will acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of the Father. Before, He says to you, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. To understand, hell was not prepared for any of us. God loved the nation of Israel. The church today is the Israel of God. We are God's distinctive people, and we're supposed to live as if we are, supposed to live as if we are distinctive people. And if we're not, there'll be a payday coming someday. So, what would you need to do to become a child of God? Well, it's very easy. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10 17. We're to walk by faith and not by sight. If you believe Jesus is the Son of God and based upon that conviction you are willing to repent of your sins, confess His name before others and then be buried with Him in baptism, then you will enjoy forgiveness of all your sins. God will wipe that slate clean. He'll put you in the church. And if you are faithful until death, you know what the promise is? The crown of life. If you're here today, and you're not living as you should and maybe your life reflects some of the very same characteristics the nation of Israel reflected could we encourage you to come home come back to God who will abundantly pardon us as we stand and sing